Friends, thank you so much for worshiping today. My name is Adam, and it's my joy to be your senior pastor. I want to say hi to everybody over at our Westside campus, as well as anybody experiencing this message online. We're in the third week of our Waypoint series, Finding the Place You Are Gifted and Called. I have a lot of friends, or you may have a friend, or you may be this person whose house doesn't quite sit right on GPS, right? The directions on Google Maps or Apple Maps doesn't quite get you there. And, and this for me is a problem when I'm heading to one of those houses. I need proper coordinates, right? I, I'll have people say, oh, well, you just head east on. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't know nothing about east. Is that towards the Walmart or not, right? I'm, I'm one of those people. I need good coordinates. And that's exactly what we're after in this series. The coordinates of the place we are gifted and called. Frederick Beekner said this, the place God calls you is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. We're spending time trying to guide ourselves into alignment of our gifts and our calling coming together to be at that waypoint. Last week, we talked about what's at stake in discovering and deploying our strengths. The strength-based approach to life can sound appealing, but is it realistic? Research and psychology tells us that your greatest chance at potential or your, your greatest capacity uh, for, for achievement it lies within your strengths. It's doing even more of what you're already good at and not just trying to fix what you're bad at. Now that all sounds great on paper, right? But we know that reality is that we don't just get to all be in our strengths all the time. Our calendar isn't filled with activities that energize us 100% of the time. There are things in life that weaken us, but we still have to do anyway. So what do we do then? Do you know what the number one fear of Americans is? More than spiders? More than death? Public speaking. Public speaking. I think that's because we're afraid of looking foolish in front of our peers and we die kind of a social death, right? What if, what if we stutter or what if we have to start the video over four times because I mess up the beginning, which never happens? What if uh, I, I end up looking foolish and I don't know what I'm talking about? Maybe you've had this fear if you've been asked to give a presentation at school or at work. Well, we could get caught unprepared or, or stumble in speech. Maybe technology fails us. There's lots of reasons that we fear public speaking. As a preacher, it's something I deal with weekly. As my dad used to say, Sundays come with amazing regularity. Now, when I'm actually doing this, I'm not physically nervous then. Most of my nervous manifestations take place like earlier in the morning, and I'll just kind of leave it at that. But if I ever don't get nervous, that's a problem. Right? I've had experiences with the terror of public speaking. At a church plant I was a part of in 2015, uh, we decided to do something kind of fun. We were going to have a candlelight Christmas community service, and we were going to do it outside in the month of December. I was at Good Shepherd in, in northern Kansas City area, and we were going to have a service at Zona Rosa, a shopping center in the Northland. And so we had made preparations. The setting was beautiful. Uh, there, the giant Christmas tree was in the background. We had timed the service to conclude at sunset. All the lights were twinkling. It was going to be great. We were going to turn the center of commercialism in the Northland into a sanctuary. And I was still in seminary and just thought a sentence like that was awesome. So the day comes and over 200 people are there. It's beautiful. It's going to be great. So we get things started and then our worship leader begins to play some 
Christmas songs and her guitar isn't coming through the speaker. And when we notice, oh, it's become unplugged. And so I rush out there to, to help her uh, plug it in. And there must have been something about my angle of approach because as I bent down to pick up her guitar cord, I heard the unmistakable and terrifying sound that could only have been my pants ripping. And not just a little bit, but like, like, like red alert, this is bad. It's, and so I'm, I'm, I'm stuck, right? I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I gonna do? This is literally the things people have nightmares about. So, so what was there left for me to do? Right? I, I waddle off like a father penguin, right? And, and I try and compose myself because I've still gotta preach and I'm, I'm hoping to, to greet people after the service. Oh my gosh, it was terrible. And friends, I can promise you, the cold December breeze was a blow and we actually have a photo of me during the event. And I'm telling you, if I had a lump of coal, I could have made a diamond, right? In that moment, I would have given anything to be anywhere else. It was awful. In our scripture today, we're gonna to meet another uh, person a bit hesitant to be a public speaker. Moses is our reluctant public speaker in our scripture today. In a very famous scene in the Bible, Moses has an encounter with God through a burning bush and they have a, a long conversation. This is in Exodus chapters three and four. It's gonna be a big boy, big girl Bible day. We're gonna look at a lot of verses, so buckle up. Moses was born a Hebrew but was raised an Egyptian and, and the Egyptians had been using the Hebrews as slaves uh, for generations, and God is calling Moses to liberate them. So we will pick up in Exodus 3, verse 9. Look, God says, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? So Moses' context was that he has, had been born a Hebrew, but had been raised by Egyptians. And then following seeing a Hebrew being treated harshly by an Egyptian, he killed the Hebrew's captor and fled. So Moses was a fugitive. And so when we read his first excuse, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Uh, we see he's got several reasons to be nervous about appearing before the most powerful person on the planet. But we also use this excuse of identity all the time. Who, who am I to, right? Who am I to, to volunteer in kids or youth ministry? Who, who am I to try and talk to the boss? Who am I to try and change something? Who am I to ask for a raise? Who am I to, to start a family? Who, who am I to, to begin a second different career? That excuse of identity rattles in our minds all the time. The list could go on and on. And we excuse ourselves because of we, we perceive our weaknesses to prevent us from taking on the task at hand. So that's Moses' first excuse is identity. And God tries to reassure Moses when he says in verse 12, I will be with you. And this is a sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But despite God's reassurance, Moses still has more misgivings about what God is calling him to do. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, and we read in verse 13, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? So here, Moses' excuse is, is one of authority. By what authority should I speak? 
We excuse ourselves from speaking up all the time when we say, well, that's not my place. We think our weaknesses disqualify us from having the authority to speak or to act. Now, the phrase God told me to or God sent me, that doesn't hold up in court. And Moses doesn't think that's going to hold up for him either. So he continues. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. I mean, this is like a hall of fame Bible passage here. Anytime you can speak with the authority of someone else, it's a good thing. You know, when I was little, I I used to love it when I could say to my sister a sentence beginning with the phrase, dad said, you know, and I got to sort of speak with the authority of dad. But this doesn't do it for Moses, who continues to resist. And we'll read this as we get into chapter 4, verse 1. But Moses protested again, What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, The Lord never appeared to you? Remember, Moses was raised as an Egyptian. So he could have been worried about how he would be perceived and that now people might think he's, he's trying to prop himself up as the savior hiding his Hebrew heritage his whole life. Moses is afraid of rejection. And anybody who's been to middle school understands this feeling. You know, what, if, what if they think I'm corny? Or, or, or what if they laugh at me? Or what if they dismiss me because they know my past? Moses is bowing to the fear of rejection. And we have the temptation to make the same excuse all the time. We let our weaknesses talk us into fearing being rejected all the time. And so God responds by saying to Moses, what is that in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replies in Exodus 4.2. God goes on in, in the midst of this chapter to describe many miraculous signs that he'll provide Moses with to prove himself to his people. God is gonna give Moses the means to prove himself through these miraculous signs. That through God's power, God is trying to assure Moses that he won't be rejected. But it's a question that's still significant for us today. What is in your hand? What do you already possess? Instead of focusing on your weaknesses as an excuse, right? instead of, instead of letting the obstacles that stand in your way be explained away by excuses, why not come up with a solution based on what you've already got? What is that in your hand? Even after three different signs that God describes to Moses in verses three through nine, Moses is still convinced that the Egyptians will reject him. He's still convinced that his weaknesses make him unfit for the task God is calling him to. Right, and so God is asking Moses to speak to Pharaoh through God's authority, and here we see that the fear of public speaking is nothing new. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Moses is afraid that he's inadequate. This is another excuse that we all grapple with. Fear of inadequacy is an excuse that everyone experiences from time to time. How many times in, lo- in your life have you thought, but I can't, I, I can't possibly get my finances in order, 
I, I, I can't be, be a better husband or a better spouse, a better wife. I, 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 can't, I can't make healthier choices. I, I can't go back to school. Right? I can't ask them on a date. Whatever it might be, our weaknesses make us feel inadequate. God tries to reassure Moses, reiterating that he's not on his own. I think what God is clearly after is just for Moses to trust God in spite of his weaknesses. Moses is pleading to God as if God didn't already have access to this information. Then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. So Moses apparently has had it. God has, has been refuting each one of Moses' excuses. Moses has come up with four excuses, and God has come back each time. And finally, Moses just flat out refuses. Some of us, it feels like Exodus 4, 13 is a life verse. Moses just plain don't want to. Lord, please send anyone else. And what, in can't, what can't be a fun position to be in, verse 14 says, then the Lord became angry with Moses. The Hebrew word ap for anger also means nostril. So God, God's so mad, God's nostrils are flaring. That's the imagery there. That's where God is at with Moses. All right, God said, what about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he speaks well. And look, he is on his way to meet you now. He will be delighted to see you. Talk to him and put the words in his mouth. I will be with both of you as you speak, and I will instruct you both in what to do. Aaron will be your mouthpiece, and you will stand in the place of God for him, telling him what to say. And take your shepherd's staff with you and use it to perform the miraculous, the miraculous signs I have shown you. So we've looked at a boatload of verses today from Exodus 3 to 4. And anytime I can make like a handy chart for my own sermon prep, that's what I'm going to do. And so that's what I've prepared for us today. So here's what I'd like for us to see. For each excuse that Moses made, God met it with a provision. And what ultimately made the difference to Moses was God's provision coming in the form of a person. So we see Moses' first excuse was identity. Well, who am I to... And God said, I will be with you. It's not about who you are, it's about who I am, and I will be with you. Moses' second excuse was authority. Well, that's not my place. God says, tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you. It's by my authority that you can come to them. Moses, uh, one of his excuses was rejection. Well, what if they don't? And God said, what is that in your hand? Moses was worried about what he didn't have. And God was trying to get him to focus on what he did have. Moses' fourth excuse was fear of inadequacy. But I can't, I don't speak well. God said, I will instruct you in what to say. I will make you adequate. And finally, Moses just flat out refuses. I don't want to. And God says, what about your brother Aaron? He speaks well and he is on his way to meet you now. So Moses tried five different times to make an excuse and each time was met with a provision from God. So friends, what we see is that our excuses do not excuse us from service. The reality is that none of us possess every strength. None of us are self-sufficient. 
There are going to be certain things that are weaknesses of yours, activities that weaken you that you can't just excuse yourself from. Like no one's able to say, well, hey, Mr. IRS, taxes, just not a strength of mine, so I'm going to leave that to someone else. No, we know that's not how life works. The key to managing around your weaknesses is looking for God's provision in the midst of them. Moses was letting his weaknesses cloud his calling. Earlier in the series, we talked about our primary calling first being to someone, not something, that we are first called to glorify God and that we can do that through a variety of ways because we glorify God when we use our gifts well. But friends, that doesn't mean that, that, that God's purpose in your life is just generic either. It doesn't mean that you don't have any specific contributions to make. Right? Sometimes we just have to choose to believe that if God is calling us to something, that we will possess what is required. Our excuses don't excuse us from service. I think it's important to acknowledge that Moses' conversation with God is not normative, at least in my experience. The way Moses is interacting with God, speaking with God directly, most of us haven't had a chance to do. Now, if this is your normative way of communicating with God, let me know and you can preach the sermon next week, right? So how can we find clues to our calling? Pastor Adam Hamilton is the pastor at Church of the Resurrection and he's described the following principle, discernment by nausea. What's the thing you could do or the choice you potentially could make that makes you feel a little sick? Kind of like Moses being called to speak before the most powerful person on the planet. It's very likely that God is calling you to the tough thing that makes you feel a little ill. Discernment by nausea. That's a great clue to a calling. The good news is that we don't have to walk in these callings alone. I believe the story of Moses and Aaron show us that God's provision so often comes in the form of another person. At the beginning of the series, we talked about the body of Christ and what it means to be one part of a much larger whole. And that's good news, is that God hasn't created us for a purpose in isolation, that we're in this together. Pretending you don't have any weaknesses won't get you anywhere, and neither will the excuses that we try to make. We have to allow for other people to come alongside of us, because that is a huge way that God provides for the things we lack. It's only when we admit our weaknesses that our true strength can be revealed. I love this verse from 2 Corinthians 12. God says to the author, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. And Paul, the writer, continues, so now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ, for when I am weak, then I am strong. You will never be able to fully draw upon the strength of God until you first admit your weaknesses. I imagine for God, it's pretty hard to help somebody that doesn't think they need it. May God give us each the grace and humility to admit our weaknesses and in doing so, put us in a position to live out the call of God in our lives because our excuses don't excuse us from service. And everybody said, amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for 
revealing in your conversation with Moses the same temptations that so many of us face to try and excuse away the things that you're calling us to do for a variety of reasons, whether that's identity or authority, whether that's doubt in our own abilities. God, help us to silence those inner voices that remind us of our weaknesses and help us find our true strength in you. Give us the humility and the grace needed to admit that we're not self-sufficient and it's only through your provision that we can live into the calling you have for us. Amen.